is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. Hello, my name's Michelle Stanley. It's good to be with you on the Country Hour today. I'll be keeping the seat warm for Matt Brandt for the next few weeks. Don't worry, you will get him back next year. But in the meantime, it looks like I've brought the rain with me. Muddy water rushing around the compound and all the rivers and lake systems filling up. It's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, we need kilos to be a successful business. So, yeah, it means a lot to us. 137 mils of rain out at Anthony Lagoon Station over the last few days. Quite the downpour to end November. You'll head out there after one o'clock. Also, checking in on Cahill's Crossing with the East Alligator River rising at the causeway yesterday. So that's sort of telling us as locals that, well, maybe it's time to... um Bunker down for the um, wet season. Yeah, bunkering down at Gumbalanya this afternoon. And I also want to know, what's the strangest match-up you've seen at your place? I don't mean the chef and the head stocky. Have you ever seen a, a cow adopt a horse? Yeah, you heard that right. A Brahmin cow has adopted a Brumby foal. I've been in grazing all my life, and all the stations around me too, everyone. Whoever I showed it to, they've never seen it in their life and probably never see it again, eh? You'll find out how that happened a bit later. And I'm keen to hear from you today. 0487 991 057 is the text line. If you've been listening to the wireless this morning, maybe enjoying some of the music being requested on the ABC NT Gives Request-a-thon, raising money for Food Bank. Keep the donations coming. You can make a song request during today's program. Donate some cash to the good people at Food Bank. Let me know what you want to hear and I'll give it a spin. 0487 991 There are only two songs up for grabs this hour, so make sure you get in early. There's less than one week left for you to have your say on the future of the Lake Eyre Basin. The federal government has its draft strategic plan up for public comment until next Monday. That's the 5th of December. The draft plan looks at the values, environment, social, cultural and economic values of Cuddytunda, the Lake Eyre Basin, and managing that basin. Adrian Tomlinson is the CEO of the Arid Lands Environment Centre. Adrian, I'll get you to explain your concerns in just a minute, but first, can you explain what this plan is trying to do? Basically, it's a high-level um, strategic plan um, uh, created under national legislation with arrangements with all the participating state governments involved for how they're going to do the ongoing management of the Lake Eyre Basin that covers the Northern Territory, Queensland, New South Wales and South Australia. So so it needs a combined effort. So so basically it's, it's, it's in a way a plan to make a plan that sets out a, a few high-level goals and then the steps that will be taken to um, bring those to effect. And what are some of the, the goals that the plan runs through? Um, basically they're almost generic goals that you get a, get in any strategic plan, really. I, I, I had to look twice to check it was Cutitunda or Lake Eyre Basin that was being talked about. But, but essentially, it talks about healthy river systems, celebrated Aboriginal culture, a resilient community and an adaptable and diverse economy. So, so those, I, I guess, in themselves aren't particularly bad, but the high-level vision is very generic. And my concern is that um, Lake Eyre 
it, which is more properly known as Kaditunda, is actually you know, one of the largest internal draining wetland river systems in the world. It's relatively intact compared to some of the others, and it's just an absolutely remarkable and magnificent ecosystem, and one that you, you know of iconic scale, which should be given the iconic treatment, um, not not just relegated to a, a document which is so, if you like, bureaucratic in its style that very few people are even engaging with it. And you've put in a submission, you kind of touched on it there, um, your comment around it being quite general. In the joint submission you put forward, it, you've said that, that it's superficial. What, what's your main issue with this draft plan as it currently sits? Um, essentially, it looks like it's a bit of a ticker box exercise it, it, to some extent. But I, I guess in doing that, I just think it's uh, um, highly problematic where, as, as I guess it talked about those high level objectives, but then it runs through the, you know, some of the risks and opportunities, but it doesn't get into them in proper detail. Like, I guess one concern we've had is that that's a very, very major concern is there's a very major study recently came out which identified that the central and western um, deserts were in a state of collapse. It was a report by Bergstrom and others um, from a couple of years ago. And, and that specifically the central desert areas being under collapse, um, you know, not, not now. So basically uh, they've highlighted things with um, loss of habitat and loss of small mammals due to livestock trampling, weeds primarily buffalo in this area, and then feral animals and hot fires and loss of the cultural regimes. These are major issues and they're literally causing the ecosystem to collapse. So I, I think failure to recognise we've got problems like that basically isn't good enough. There's a sense of urgency about turning turning this around. And, and, and also, I guess, in terms of on the economic side of it, it, it more or less captures the status quo of the last couple hundred years. It doesn't think about equity as in who's benefiting. You know, there's clearly major um, you, you know, inequity with the traditional owners of much of this land and, and much of it being an Aboriginal land trust who don't have you know, equal economic opportunity to others. And we'd really like to see a bit of activism around you, you know, a plan like this in trying to you, you know, make sure any economic benefits are um, equally shared. While you've said that, you know, a generic plan is a concern for you, at the same time, do you see a benefit in that it's not locking in any particular prescriptive rules that might cause a negative impact to some groups? Um, I, I guess I, my concern is that the status quo, as I've talked about, it's on a it's on a poor trajectory, both in terms of the ecosystem collapse and not not taking the opportunities about, you know, like just running along with the same current economic, you know, norms and not not sort of picking up on the great opportunities. So, so but I, I think we really need a big discussion up front that's saying, you know, this is a we need to do this differently because it's not working and it's not inclusive and. If we sort of just sneak through to the next step without having that high-level discussion, I think effectively we are locking in the past um, and not, not seizing the opportunity. On the Country Hour today, Michelle Stanley with you, and you're hearing from Adrian Tomlinson from the Arid Lands Environment Centre. We're talking about the Draft Lake Air Basin Strategic Plan, and you've talked about some of the concerns there, Adrian. What would you like to see in 
the plan? This is at the draft stage at the moment, but before, you know, when it does get published, what would you like to see in it? I, I guess, I suppose on, on the environmental side, I, I would like to see it being upfront about recognising the risks and, you know, seeking at, you know, at appropriate scale management interventions to turn that around, given that it is this, you know, globally unique, comparatively intact thing. We've got that opportunity to turn it around. I, I guess I'd like to see, um, you, you know, more of a discussion around the macroeconomics um, behind it as well about, you know, having having a discussion about, okay, not, not just let's keep doing what we're doing, but we've got um, this iconic system. It could be a place like Kakadu, like to have a discussion about how can we um, make it like that and leverage that to, you know, get, get some opportunity. Locally in Alice Springs, I, I guess we've got the same issues. Uh, we've got a, uh, a lot of Alice Springs people may not realise they're actually in the Lake Air Basin catchment, but Alice Springs is the largest um, population centre in the Lake Air Basin catchment. Um, and we've got the nearby very magnificent Think River or Larapinta, um, which is the longest permanent you know, river on the same water course over a long period. It's the oldest in the, the world. And so it's, you know, this magnificent river get running through the um, you know, Palm Valley and these wonderful Pedersen Ranges and McDonald Ranges in its headwaters. But it's a really fantastic landscapes and cultural landscapes. And, you know, I'd like to see recognition of those in there. Adrian Tomlinson, thank you for your time today. It's uh, appreciated. Thanks for the call. He's the CEO of the Arid Lands Environment Centre in Alice Springs. And as Adrian Tomlinson mentioned, Karitanda Lake Air Basin covers almost a sixth of Australia's landmass. And its continued health is seen as vital for First Nations people, tourist operators and pastoralists. Across the border at Rosebirth Station in southwest Queensland, Jeff Morton takes a fairly long-term view of the land his family has worked on over four generations. Nothing's changed over the millennia because uh, uh, it's it's country that sort of self-measures itself if you let it, so long as you don't overstock it. People say it's fragile country. It's not fragile country. It's very resilient country because uh, in that, if you decide to overstock it or misuse it, it will come back and bite you and become dead, uh, bare and uh, you lose your stock. But the instant it rains again, it rejuvenates itself back to the original condition. And um, as long as we understand that, as long as we as graziers everywhere or people of Australia realise that and work with the country, it's very productive and it's a very rewarding country. So we let it sort of play along itself and um, uh, history has proved that so far we have been right. What are your thoughts on the current situation where there are leases in the basin at this time? I think we have to learn to live with them. It's a fact of life. History and worldwide observations have told you that um, where there's a quid to be made, whether it be mining or petroleum, those industries end up being the dominant industry. So, you know, the governments will always bow to them and always have and always will be. Uh, that's just the uh, fact of life of the mighty dollar. So far, so good. They've done everything right. They've been responsible citizens of the area. I guess it's up to the state and federal governments just to make sure that they don't, you know, you can you can rape the country, whether you're a grazier or a miner or a petroleum industry person. So long as we're, we are all aware 
that we have to make sure that that doesn't happen. I can't see any problem at all. What are your thoughts on the Lake Air Basin strategic plan? Have you had a chance to have a look? Yeah, I've had a bit of a look at it. It's uh, it's fairly toothless. It's uh, it's there's nothing dramatic in there. Nothing to be controversial. It it all can work so long as we all work together and work a bit of common sense and work for a common goal. Uh, you know, we don't want single issue entities having uh, having all the say. Jeff Morton from Rosebirth Station in southwest Queensland. He was speaking with Carly Willis. The Federal Department of Climate Change, Energy, the Environment and Water says the proposal will be underpinned by more detailed implementation plans which are yet to be developed. Public consultation on the draft closes the 5th of December. That's next Monday. So if you'd like to have your say, just search online for Lake Air Basin Strategic Plan. Yeah, my name's Nick Ferricker from Road Trains of Australia and I've just unloaded here at the Barrymore Export Yard. When I'm cruising along, I always tune into the country hour. 16 to 1 this afternoon. Michelle Stanley along and it's great to have your company. Now today the ABC is running its annual charity drive and this year we're raising money for Food Bank NT. Now you can support Food Bank NT's work by donating money to help them deliver food to people in need. Whatever amount you can afford, it'll make a huge difference. Just 10 bucks will feed a Territorian going hungry for a week. 0487 991057. If you donate money, we'll play a song. The text line again to get in touch. 0487 991057. Haggis in Noonamar has given us a call. How are things looking in Noonamar today, Haggis? Yeah, they're good, mate. Sun's shining, breezes blowing. Yeah, no, it's looking good. But I dare <laughs> say it'll rain later, so I'll get the washing off the line. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's why you put the washing on the line, isn't it? So, you know, so you can try and um, force the rain or maybe wash the car. Uh, how much are you donating today? I'll donate. $50 if you'll play Lee Kernigan's um, Boys from the Bush and I'll um, it's for Willow not for me so um, yeah that'd be good if you could play that please we can do that. I'll play that now. And if you would like to donate, just like Haggis has done, 0487991057. Lee Kernigan, boys from the bush. That one for Haggis at Noonamar. He pledged 50 bucks for Food Bank NT. You can get your song played on the radio this afternoon. And I don't know that you know how lucky you are. I come from the WA Country Hour and we're not allowed to play music in WA on the Country Hour. So you have your chance to get your ideally country music song played on the radio this afternoon. It would be good to get some in some country music in today, not just the pop music and the love songs you're hearing earlier. 0487991057. Get in touch this afternoon. Text in. Tell us what you'll donate and what song you want to hear Every dollar provides two meals for people in need, thanks to the good work done at Food Bank NT. That's 0487991057. Get in touch this afternoon, pledge uh, some money for Food Bank, and you'll get your song played on the radio. It's 12 to 1. Vida- 
Verdant Minerals has referred its Amaru phosphate, phosphate project for assessment by the NT Environment Protection Authority. Originally, the company just wanted to mine phosphate at this site northeast of Alice Springs, but now it plans to build a fertiliser manufacturing plant next to the mine. Verdant wants to produce more than one million tonnes of fertiliser each year for export and also for use on Australian farms. Chris Tazolis is from Verdant Minerals. He spoke with Dan Fitzgerald about the referral. This is a, uh, a significant variation referral, so a variation to the original EIS to uh, incorporate the downstream fertiliser manufacturing plants into the environmental approval. So we went through environmental impacts assessment process under the old legislation to mine and beneficiate the rock back in 2018. Uh, that process was completed. So this is, as I say, to uh, add the additional plants. So that would be phosphoric acid, sulfuric acid, ammonia and granulation plants into the project to allow us to make ammonium phosphate fertilisers. And just for our audience, can you paint us a bit of a picture about how big that fertiliser plant might be? Oh, look, it's an additional of a number of, uh, as I say, additional plants. It doesn't actually take up much more area. Uh, it's all contained within the same area that we would have been disturbing um, in the original mining and beneficiation project. So it's not that significant from that perspective. Um, but it does, uh, it's an additional set of uh, waste streams to manage. You know, we will use additional water in the project. So they're the main components. Just touching on water, how much are we talking that this um, plant might need to use? Oh, a little bit over twice of what we're envisaging previously, so around about 8 gigalitres a year is the uh, estimated water usage for the project. And where will that water come from? That's from a significant groundwater resource that's out there adjacent to the project, uh, the Georgina Basin. It's uh, the Georgina Basin is effectively a, a groundwater aquifer and um, there's plenty of it out there. The referral says the project will be considered a large emitter under NT guidelines, yep. um, so it's required to have a, a greenhouse gas abatement plan. Um, can yep. you talk us through how Vernant plans to abate the, the CO2 or, or greenhouse gases produced in construction and running of this project? Yeah, look, the main emissions for, of CO2 come from the production of ammonia, Dan. So the traditional way of producing ammonia is you basically crack the hydrogen out of gas and you use the hydrogen, you recombine that with nitrogen, you make ammonia, NH3. Um, and, of course, the waste stream from that is, uh, is CO2. So there's been lots of uh, discussion around green ammonia, so using renewables and electrolysis to produce that hydrogen to allow to use ammonia. And we had a very close look at whether that was possible to do at this point in time. Um, and, look, it really uh, isn't economically viable to do it at that point in time, absent significant carbon prices or... Uh, or markets that are willing to pay large premiums for these sorts of products. So over time, though, as as these technologies evolve and as markets evolve for these sorts of products, then a switch over to uh, to green ammonia in that lead up to uh, net zero by 2050 would be appropriate. So we'll be obliged to actually come up with a roadmap and an abatement plan to actually um, underpin that transition in the course of time. So that'll be designed into the plant, will it? The, that potential uh, switch to a green ammonia? Oh, no, it'd be, it'd be a new... Well, it'd be additions to this plant, ultimately. But look, I just have to be realistic with people. That's a lot of uh, solar PB that one would need to put in to produce a relatively small amount of ammonia. Um, so right now, uh, we don't take up that footprint or that level of investment. It would effectively double the capital in the project. Um, but as I say, in the course of time, as these technologies and as these markets evolve, 
um, then that would be the path that one would likely go down. Uh, the referral says, I'll quote a little bit of it here, the remote location of the Amaru site uh, provides a particular challenge to the economic viability of development. Why are you confident that this whole project stacks up economically? Yeah, look, we, we've actually completed a definitive feasibility study a handful of weeks ago, so we understand all the capital implications and complexity. And I, I will say that doing it remotely actually does add some complexity and cost to the project, but integrating everything in the one site is actually the, uh, the most efficient way to operate it. So even though it would be a pretty significant capital project up front, it is a very long life project, and pleasingly it's uh, a relatively low cost project in the context of the global industry, So, uh, and that's why we think it'll work. And will the addition of this fertiliser plant uh, call for more jobs at the site? Oh, absolutely. So this, this adds significantly uh, higher level of uh, operating jobs and construction jobs. So we estimate a peak of around 1,500 to 1,600 construction jobs during the, uh, the construction phase and then up to about 400 jobs in, uh, in the operating phase. So that's, that's quite a significant jump on, I think, just mining and beneficiating the rock and trying to export it. You're talking about 150, 160 jobs in the operating phase. Uh, this referral, it's now with the EPA. What what happens next? Well, so it's open for public comment at this point in time and the uh, NCEPA will make a decision as to the level of assessment that it will need to conduct on it. And um, so there's three levels of assessment, whether that they are comfortable that we've provided enough information for them to do the assessment based on the referral itself, uh, whether they need some more supplementary information or whether we need to do a full EIS, which... Um, would really, well, it might be, it'd be difficult to understand why we do that because this, as you can see from that referral document that is on the NT EPA's website, it's a pretty comprehensive document. Chris Dezolis is the Managing Director of Verdant Minerals. He was speaking with Dan Fitzgerald and public submissions on Verdant Minerals plans are open until the 20th of December. It's six to one. Have you got your song ready? Today is Request-a-thon. We're going to play anything. Anything? Absolutely anything. So long as you donate to Food Bank at abc.net.au slash ntgive. ABC Radio Darwin and Food Bank. Teaming up for ABC Gives Request-a-Thon on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. That's right. Get your song played this afternoon. Text 0487 991057. Let us know what ideally country music song you'll play on the radio and how much you'll donate to Food Bank. And we'll give that a spin after one o'clock. Supermarket giant Coles is expanding its carbon neutral beef range after it first launched the line in Victoria earlier this year. Customers in New South Wales, South Australia and Tasmania are now able to purchase the carbon neutral product. David Clawton spoke to Coles and one of its suppliers, Daniel Matthey, who's a cattle producer from Holbrook in New South Wales. He's made a few changes on the farm to make his beef carbon neutral. We've planted a lot of trees, uh, so these, these have the dual advantage of offsetting emissions as well as providing shade for the herd and preventing erosion. Uh, we've implemented best practice soil and pasture management to increase the amount of carbon we're storing in the soil. So soil testing paddocks, applying the appropriate uh, nutrients that are required for those paddocks. Uh, pasture management is targeted rotational grazing, uh, leaving the correct residual ground cover, uh, putting more area into perennial pastures, so there's more green feed, more time of the year. 
going going an extra effort to get the best cattle genetics available to increase herd productivity. Uh, we've installed multiple solar panels for farm electricity use, including pumping water to our cattle. How many panels uh, have you got now? We've got about 50 kilowatts of panels. So how has Coles been helping you out in that regard? I mean, obviously, they're paying you for your beef. Do they give you a premium or do they support you in other ways? That's right. Uh, Coles is, is paying a premium and they are um, doing an excellent job of providing us with the resources uh, to people to talk to, to able to minimise our carbon emissions. Right. And when you say you've been doing rotational grazing, so you're obviously resting quite a bit of the land when you're doing that, and you're, you're putting nutrients on to promote the growth, so the more that your pasture grows, the more carbon the grass can store in the soil, yeah? So That's right. So what are you seeing in terms of your carbon levels? Uh, they have been increasing steadily uh, over the years, but it is a very, it's a long-term gain uh, with the soil carbon. I think some more short-term things where we're seeing immediate results from are uh, herd productivity so we're putting a very strong emphasis on turning our cattle off at a younger age uh, and higher weights when possible Um, so how does that help in terms of your carbon footprint so the carbon footprint is measured on the basis of kilograms of live weight sold so if each as a breeding producer uh, we have to run a cow and if we that cow isn't getting in calf it's gone Um, and for every cow we run their progeny we want to put on the maximum amount of of weight gain as fast as possible uh, to justify having that cow and to reduce that cow's emissions and the offspring's emission per kilogram of light weight gained also at the launch today in sydney's dr stephen wiedemann is the managing director of integrity ag and environment that's a big title uh, stephen can you explain what that means with coles uh, look, I oversee and manage this project and program for Coles and have been doing so since the beginning a couple of years ago, so it's been a long journey, but uh, we've we've got there now and we're in the rollout phase, which is really exciting to see. One of the key things around this is, is consumer confidence in that message that this is a more sustainable product. How does Coles measure that? Yeah, look, as a science partner, that's part of our role. We do that certification work. We certify effectively the emissions and any carbon removals on every farm that's in the program and uh, right through the supply chain as well, so through processing as well. And then it's not just it's not just us and our word for it either. Our work is then third-party verified. And finally, it's approved by Climate Active, who are the the sort of certifying body and they're part of the federal government. That is Dr. Stephen Wiedemann from Coles, who was speaking with David Clawton about Coles expanding its carbon neutral beef range now in New South Wales, South Australia and Tasmania. Off to the newsroom shortly, but make sure you're getting in your request for a song today. No donation is too small, just $1.00 will give two meals to a hungry Territorian. So get in touch on the text line 0487 99 1057. Let us know how much you want to give to Food Bank and which song you'd like us to play. We'll play that after one o'clock. It's news time. Hi, how are you going? My name is John Barry, uh, originally from Ireland. Came out here about 15 years ago and ended up in the lovely Timber Creek. And it's good here, the locals are friendly and I'm enjoying the job. And you're listening to the Country Hour. Well, I haven't come from as far away as that, but I have come from WA 
And it's good to be here. Michelle Stanley's my name and I'm taking the country hour seat from Matt Brand for the next couple of months. It's just gone five past one. Let's take a look at some of the rainfall. Moses Rayco is with you from the Bureau of Meteorology. Hi, Moses. Good afternoon, Michelle. And let's kick it off with the rainfall. Um, there's been a fair bit around. I seem to have brought the rain with me, which is good news. Uh, where were some of the best rainfall figures from overnight? Uh, in the 24 hours to 9am, um, the highest we've actually got here um, is at Nooka, uh, around 83 millimetres or thereabouts. Um, and we've got some other good falls over the eastern parts or parts of the Carpentaria, I should say, in that 60 to 70 millimetre mark. Um, across the daily, uh, we've got Port Keats coming in at 67 millimetres there on the coast, so that's pretty good. Groot Island as well, um, 65 millimetres. And some good falls around the Catherine's, well, I guess around the Greater Catherine area itself. Um, Edith Farms Road, 65. Um, and some, yeah, some good falls around the place there and including into the central districts as well. Um, we've picked up um, some good falls in that area too as the trough, and it's all been driven by that trough that's moved through the area over the last, uh, well, since Sunday, in fact, when it moved into the southern parts of the NT, and it's been gradually moving northwards. At the moment, that trough is extending across uh, near the base of the top end, and it's expected to continue its northward track uh, through the top end, uh, pushing out potentially into parts of the Arafura Sea maybe by later tomorrow, definitely by Thursday, with that trough leaning back into um, the Gulf and into North Queensland. Um, so, yeah, look, some good falls still potentially on the cards there for today as we see that play out. Um, some showers uh, and thunderstorms have developed across the Arnhem, across the Southern Daly, Northern Gregory, starting to see some showers develop too over the Carpentaria district. Um, those showers, sorry, those thunderstorms, um, should they develop uh, around that trough, um, probably around the base of the top end really, into parts of the Arnhem and Dart, daily districts um, we could see some slow moving storms which may produce some heavy falls so just keep an eye on the website if we do issue any severe thunderstorm warnings today um, that area where we might see some heavy falls will contract north to the northeast coast tomorrow potentially uh, as that trough moves through that area tomorrow um, I should mention though um, some nice cool temperatures though before I move forward nice cool temperatures are expected today um, generally speaking in the low 30s right across the top end um, it's looking at sitting at uh, 32 at uh, Catherine at the moment or just under 33 Gove's got a, a thunderstorm moving over it now so temperatures down there down to 26 at the moment as that moves across the um, the area there uh, Darwin itself sitting at about 31 at the moment and we're probably sitting on what should be the maximum temperature around about that 31 degrees thereabouts um, there are some uh, I guess some cloud just developing over the rural area and northern parts of the daily. So we might see some thunderstorms develop in that area later uh, during the afternoon. Yeah, what about the, the Barclay? We're about to hear from Anthony Lagoon Station, which had 137 millimetres over the last few days. Can they expect any more rainfall in, in that part of the world? 
Uh, no, not now. Once that, since that trough has pushed through, looking at the humidity, that's really dropped out around Tennant Creek and it's returned into sunny conditions there, um, right up into really daily waters uh, is where we start to see the moisture there. Um, but we're really going to see that uh, those dry conditions push northwards um, as we head into tomorrow. But yeah, some good falls as that trough pushed through the central districts with those slow-moving storms. So that's some really nice rainfall totals there. Um, uh, but look, in the as we look ahead to the future, we're really expecting to see some sunny conditions returning right across the territory. In fact, by Thursday, once that trough moves northwards, and we're going to see some some dry air push in um, behind that trough so temperatures will start to creep up believe it or not even tomorrow people might notice a difference the sunny skies returning and those temperatures creeping up into the mid 30s again across the daily northern daily and even parts of the Arnhem district so it's really going to be quite a different day uh, the expectation is uh, as we as it plays out tomorrow yeah it's been and a nice the rest of the week. cool start to the week how much rain might central australia get moses uh, well, that's probably it. Um, what you, you kind of uh, read out there is probably the highest totals there mm. at that um, location. Um, really expecting some dry conditions to return uh, across the central districts and, as I was saying before, into the top end as well. So that's pretty much it for the time being uh, in terms of rainfall. There may be a trough that moves from Western Australia into the Territory maybe sometime next week, um, but that's at least a week out at this stage. We might see some rainfall potentially returning uh, into the southwestern parts of the Territory, but that's all pending on the timing of that trough uh, moving in from the west over WA. And you mentioned um, the um, the thunderstorm potential thunderstorms around Gove. I believe there's a strong wind warning out for the Gove Peninsula coast. <laughs> Yeah, those winds are expected to pick up overnight and into tomorrow, but this is well offshore. So we're talking about the far northeastern parts of the coastal waters there, uh, well offshore from Gove is where we might see those um, strong winds. Um, getting up to around 20 knots or, uh, or so further or closer to Gove itself um, uh, with those west, fresh west westerly winds through um, the Arafura Sea and into the Gulf of Carpentaria too. Um, yeah, so those winds will be fresh um, across the northern coastal waters for tomorrow, um, particularly the Gove Peninsula coast there. Uh, wind should... Um, gradually ease um, as we head into the later parts of this week um, back to 10 to 15 knots across mo across most of our coastal waters Michelle um, as those winds uh, just back off um, some more there and we're probably seeing the return of those southeasterlies push in um, potentially even from uh, as early as tomorrow, um, southwesterly, southeasterly winds pushing in then, um, potentially then as uh, the trough moves north. But yeah, so definitely expect some sunny conditions and some warm temperatures or hot temperatures to return and sunny conditions to return across a good portion of the top end starting from tomorrow. Not the news um, I was after, Moses. No, it's <laughs> not. It's is, not. Is there anything no. else we need to know for, for the territory over the next few days? Um over the next few days, just enjoy the cloudy and, and well, I guess, rain and showers and thunderstorms because uh, it, it probably won't return again until maybe later on the weekend if we're lucky, but definitely, hopefully, by next week over parts of the top end. I'll um, keep my fingers yep. crossed. Moses Rako, thank you for your time this afternoon. He's from the Bureau of Meteorology. It's 13 past one on the country hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon, and it was a...
a wet weekend for the crew out at Anthony Lagoon Station in the Barclay. I mentioned with Moses Braco just a moment ago, the station sits northeast of Tennant Creek. I got a pretty good drink the last few days with some water running around the buildings at the homestead. Jasper Brain says it's not a common sight this early in the season. Um, so I've had about 137 mil over the last three days. So um, yesterday, 97 mil, and then two days before that, we had 40 mil. What's that like at this time of year? How, can you sort of describe what it's like to see that kind of rainfall? Oh, it's pretty crazy considering, um, yeah, we've obviously had last, in the dry season, we've had minimal rain and, um, and it all just hit at once. So that 97 mil was a big surprise to wake up to. Maybe water rushing around the compound and all the rivers and lake systems filling out. It's pretty, pretty exciting. Yeah, there's a video up on Twitter which um, paints a pretty good picture of it. It's almost like a, a river through the compound there. What's it looking like today? Is it sort of sticking around? Um, no, so the, the rain's all buggered off, but um, definitely a lot, of, a lot of water around. All the black soil is all real boggy and all the red soil's still a bit slippery underfoot, but, yeah, can't do much around the compound today. Yeah, do you think it fell widely across the property or is it pretty isolated? No, it's pretty pretty vastly spread. I went for a fly around this morning um, with one of the pilots and had a look around and sort of to the neighbours to the east and down to the south. Um, it was all pretty widespread. I think they had about 40 mil, both neighbours. So it was obviously all over the property. What what does this kind of rainfall mean to you on the property, um, you know, for this coming season? Um, it's very, very big for us. Um, we've got a lot of creeks and um, rivers that we sort of rely on um, for feed and for growing out our cattle. So for them to fill up and for the grass to start growing, um, yeah, we need kilos to be a successful business. So, yeah, it means pretty a lot to us. Does it give you a, a bit of an excuse for a longer smoko today to, while things are still drying out? Yeah, definitely. And a bit five minutes longer there for smoker might have a bit longer for lunch. But, yeah, can't do too much around, so might as well take advantage of it. Is it common for, for Anthony Lagoon to get that kind of rainfall, you know, at the end of November? Um, well, so far I've seen it. Um, not, not so much. Um, I think last year or last wet season, I should say, the rain didn't really come until sort of end of January. So it's pretty exciting. We don't want to jinx it, though. We don't want it to stop. We want it to keep coming. But, yeah, definitely first time I've seen it in a little while. Yeah, well, enjoy it while it lasts. Hopefully um, that continues and you, your neighbours get a bit more as well. Yeah, and no, I think it's crossing and keep it coming. It is Jasper Brain from Anthony Lagoon Station. You can check out that video as well if you're on Twitter of the rainfall, just, well, the water from the rainfall swimming around the homestead. It's on Twitter at AustAgCo. And I've retweeted it as well, actually. Uh, it's 17 past one, continuing to talk about that rain. The boom gates have been closed at Cahills Crossing on the Kakadu-Arnhem Land border after the East Alligator River rose to about 1.2 metres at the causeway yesterday. That means West Arnhem communities are now cut off by road indefinitely. Leon James from Gunbalanya told Max Rowley the river rose over the last few days. 
you can granddaughter that were down there yesterday having a fish and they said that it was so it was up you know sort of running fairly high and it hasn't been going down and then i noticed on the um on on the uh facebook on the gumbalanya facebook page it's over um, a meter at the moment so that's sort of telling us as locals that well maybe it's time to um bunker down for the um wet season yeah right how much rain have you had in out in the region or in that catchment well we've had a lot of um, localized uh, rain and um you know daily storms and things like that so so that but i think for the river when it's um it's floods it sort of comes in through um there's meekin valley which is uh an area over from the escarpment it runs down into the river and then also you've got um uh, the catchment area i'm led to believe which is ballman sort of like catherine way that and it comes um down that through that way and once it's up and then you think well that's it you know so you just um resign to the fact that we're, we're here for um, a few months because it can come up and stay up till you know like may and, you know, even late May, you're looking sometimes maybe not driving out to June. So it all depends on the wet season. Yeah, right. Are you all stocked up for the wet season then? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, that's what you do. You sort of, <laughs> you, go to, you go to town and, you know, throw extra dog food and, you know, toilet paper and all sorts of things, you know, uh, deodorants and all that, yeah, just to get you by, you know. Is this usual timing for, for Kale's Crossing to close from your memory of being been there in Gumbalanya? Oh, look, I can uh, remember it um, sort of going right up to near Christmas. We could um, get across and then uh, other times it can happen like round now and, and um, be cut off. I remember um, I had my car parked over in Jabiru because that's what you normally do. You park your car over in Jabiru and fly over and grab your car and drive into Darwin. But uh, this particular year, we had it parked over in Jabiru, brought it back, and thinking, oh, okay, went back into Jabiru the next morning on a Saturday and bought the paper and come back. And then um, um, Debbie, my partner, she um, and she was got my son come out to pick her up to take her back into Darwin, and uh, rang up from the border store to say he couldn't get across the river. So I had my car in. Um, Jabiru for a few weeks, brought it back, and then <laughs> the river come up and was stuck here anyway. Stranded. So come Stranded. up just like that, you know, bang, come up like that and stay up. Has it been the same this year? How how quickly did the water rise? Oh, it's probably been rising a bit slowly. We, um, over a week ago, uh, took my car over to Jabiru to leave it for the wet season because you also you got the the problem of the road, then if it gets too wet and gets too boggy and you can't get down there anyway to the crossing. So a lot of people don't realise that. You know, they think, oh, Kales is um, open or whatever and I'll, I'll go and think and you can get bogged on the way down there too. Gunbalanya local Leon James speaking with Max Rowley about the Cahills crossing closure. Hi, my name is Trent McDonald and I'm from Arena Station. Hi, my name's Will. I am William Tutu and I'm from Kicks in the Park. Hi, my name is Lynn and we live out of town. We are listening to the Country Hour. 
And if you'd like to play some music this afternoon, you've just got a couple of minutes left. Text in 0487991057. Let us know what you would like to hear and you can donate to Food Bank while you're there as well. First, though, a group of Indonesian fishermen have appeared in a Darwin court over fishing in Australian waters. Dan Fitzgerald, what can you tell us? Yeah, Michelle, so four fishermen from Indonesia pled guilty in the Darwin local court this week to using a foreign boat for commercial fishing in Australian waters. Uh, so they were first found uh, nearly 10 k's inside the Australian fishing zone by the Navy warship HMS Albany. Uh, they had four hand fishing lines on board and around 90 kilos of salt, but they weren't found with any catch at that point. So the men were educated by the Navy crew and then directed to leave Australian waters. And then six days later, the same crew in the same boat was spotted by maritime surveillance aircraft deeper into Australian waters over near the Sir Graham Moore Island off the Kimberley coast in WA. Um, a border force vessel was then launched and found uh, the crew with four shark fins and 10 kilograms of dried fish on board. Um, they were then taken back to, to Darwin to face the court um, and they were fined a total of nearly $20,000 by the court um, in handing down his judgment dodge Judge John Neal took into account the uh, lack of past offending in Australia by the men, their good character, but he did note that the offending was deliberate. Um, he said in his judgment, I've accepted that they are poor fishermen and this is the only way they had to make a living and I've taken those matters into account as well. So the men are given 28 days to pay or risk um, imprisonment. Um, if you want to read more, there's an online story up on ABC News. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for that, Dan. It is 23 past one on the Country Hour. Michelle Stanley with you this afternoon, and we are donating money for Food Bank NT today. If you would like to request a song, 0487 We've heard from Patrick in Nightcliffe. He's going to donate 50 bucks... So that's enough for 100 meals for people in need in the Territory. 50 bucks if we can play Second One to Know by Chris Stapleton. Thank you to Patrick and Nightcliff for donating 50 bucks for that one. That's Chris Stapleton, Second One to Know. You can donate as well. Get in touch on 0487991057. Off to the market shortly, but first, how about this? A Brahmin cow has adopted a Brumby foal and started feeding the young horse with its own milk. The pair came together at Paddlesack Station in North Queensland after the wild foal's mother died. Rob O'Shea explains. Well, I was just out there and I couldn't lick out nothing. This little foal come walking into the dam with a mob of cattle, you know, a mob of cows and that. And I'd seen it about oh, two weeks before that. and It was out of an old Brumby mare and the old mare died, you know, from old age. And I never took any notice, and I just thought, poor little thing, you know, you'll die too. So then I went back about oh, two weeks later, and the little foals back there with all the cattle, and it was really poor then, you know, when they're little, it's only a mutt foal. Then I seen a cow looking after it, so it was with this cow, and I just shook my head because the cow never had a calf. She was a dry cow, and she belonged to one of my mates. Then when I went back a week after that, the little foal was sucking the cow. And I've never seen that in my life before. No one ever has. And now she, that little foal, it sleeps with all the calves. It whinnies to the cow and the cow butter and answer it. She baths it and she's made a real mother of it. 
another Brumby stallion come into the dam and it was coming over to the little foal and the cow into the stallion and horned him and chased him away and that was it. That's how protective she is of it, you know? And they're still there today and the little foal is really approved out of sight. It's shone up now and it's still sucking the cow. It sleeps with all the little calves at the dam and it just thinks it's a cow now, I suppose. I don't know. So cow's milk apparently is not ideal for foals. I think it can give them digestion issues. Have you seen it having any problems or do you think it's going fine on the Brahmin milk? No, it's going really good. It's going really good, mate. Someone else said to me, a, a cow's milk's no good for a foal, but it must have had the first month of milk off the old mare before she died. So it must have had enough milk to get it going and now the cow's milk was taken over and... It's shiny now. It looks really good, so it can't be affecting it in any way. Unreal. Hey, that was North Queensland cattleman Rob O'Shea speaking with Tanya Murphy. Time to head to the cattle market now. Let's cross to the Roma store sale where Errol Luck has all the details. Good afternoon. Roma Rage has been 6,020 head up by 300 in last week. The stock were mostly drawn from the regular supply area plus far western Queensland, Mount Isa and Broken Hill. All the usual export processes were present along with the regular feeder buyers plus local interstate restockers. By the time of this interim report, only a handful of lightweight steers had been sold with the market firmed within a few cents of last week. The bullocks to processors were cheaper by 11. <coughs> lightweight steers to restock are sold to 650 with the yielding steers over 280 again to restock, making to 646. Yielding steers over 3.30 returned the paddock made to 6.16 with the heavy yielding steers to feed selling to 5.42. Bullocks to processors made to 3.46 with grown steers to feed selling to 4.18. Lightweight bulls to restock are selling to 5.26 and averaging 4.63. And bulls in the 4.50-600 range selling to 380. It's been Errol Luck from Malay's National Livestock Reporting Service. Thanks, Errol. And that is it from me today for the Country Hour. It's been great to hang out with you today. Tomorrow, the Country Hour is on the regular time on the stream, but the cricket will be on as well.